is the spiritual body. Now, there are two things that I want us to see in this passage today. There are two kinds of contrasts. The first is the contrast between our physical bodies as we have them now and the bodies we will have when we're in heaven, which Paul calls a spiritual body. We could call it glorified body. You could call it supernatural body. That that's the kind of body we will have. And so the first contrast we will look at is that between our natural bodies and the spiritual body. But then there's a second contrast he brings up. And that is the contrast between the first Adam and what he calls the last Adam. But first, the contrast between our natural bodies and the spiritual bodies. And so he shows the difference between the way we are before the final resurrection and after that resurrection. And so he says before, in verse 42, the body that is sown. And he gives four descriptions. But by sown, he does not just mean burial, although that is the ultimate way the body is sown, but he's really talking about the whole of life as well, that is heading toward the grave. We are all in the process of decay. It's not pleasant to get older. When I look at a picture of me, even when I became your minister, I can never forget when I became your minister... I was 41 years old. I used to look at pictures of myself when I was 41, and I would say, you are getting old. You, ooh, you are looking old. I now look at pictures of when I was so good looking at age 41, and I think, was I ever that young? And now, 17 years later, it hurts. It hurts. And it's happening to all of you as well. I have to look at you. How would you? And it's one thing if you look at me, I have to look at all of you. All right. But then comes the ultimate way the body is sown when we die. All right. There are four descriptions. The first is perishable. That's the word he uses. That means subject to decay. And it's a reference partly to man's fallenness. Because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God said to Adam, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Hebrew can be translated, dying, you will die. And so the moment Adam and Eve partook, the decay process started right then. They lived a while but they eventually died. And so it is a reference to man's fallenness, perishable, subject to decay. But then once we die, the body is in corruption even before it reaches the grave. But then there's the second word he used. Not only is the body sown as being perishable, but it is sown in dishonor. Sown in dishonor. It's a Greek word that is used to describe a person who would lose his citizenship. Well, 
In what sense, then, is the dead body like that? Well, the dead body has lost all rights of citizenship. A corpse has no rights, and there's no glory in a dead body. I don't care whose body it was. While they were alive, whether it's royalty or a high-profile figure in government, or whether it's the greatest saint that ever lived. When that body dies, it has to be buried quickly. Death is no respecter of persons. And this decay, this dishonor, is going to be what will describe all who die. But then there's the third description, this present body that we have, weakness. Sown in weakness. Now, when the body dies, it is absolutely powerless, unable to move a limb. And yet, while we're alive, we're conscious of our weaknesses. And you know that? I was glad you kind of laughed, you felt sympathetic, but that was embarrassing a while ago when I, I've been working on that verse, and I said it this morning in the vestry to myself, and I come out here and still get, get it wrong. And... Uh, whether it's that kind of weakness or whatever, we just are conscious, even at best, we are weak. And yet Paul said, our strength is made perfect by weakness, which is an encouragement. But the corpse is sheer powerlessness, sown in weakness. And then there's a fourth description. It is sown a natural body. That, in a way, summarizes all that he's just been saying. By natural body, he means physical body. So that the natural body is subject to the laws and conditions of physical life. And we know that the body is both soul and body. Uh, I won't go into the theological point, the difference between soul and spirit. But the point is, the natural body has a spirit or soul, and the the spirit of the body is limited. The spirit of the body is hampered. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, now, these are the four ways Paul describes our bodies before the final resurrection. Perishable, first, subject to decay. Without honor. Weak. And in a word, natural or physical. But then, he says, having been sown, how are they raised? And now he gives four more descriptions, the opposite of each of those. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. That means that my future body will be incapable of decay. Now, what we know is that our resurrection bodies will be indestructible. That means incapable of dying. And it means our future bodies will be incapable of any of the consequences of the fall of man, fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. So that my future body, your future body, will be incapable of illness, or disease, or fear, or temptation, or any insecurity. In fact, they will be 
perfect, perfect bodies, just as perfect as the body God gave Adam before he sinned in the Garden of Eden. And so, our new bodies, first, imperishable, second, says Paul, they will be raised in glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says, Whom God predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. And so, what we call spiritual body could also be called glorified body. Now, in the physical body, the corpse had no rights. So that whether the person's rich or famous or outstanding or even the holiest saint, as I said, that body will have to be buried quickly. But it will be raised in glory. And Paul could say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, how did Paul know this? Because he said, we will have bodies like Jesus' body. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And John said, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, raised in glory. But the third description is raised in power. Now, you may recall, those in Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection body, they said, well, how is it possible? How are the dead raised? Well, Paul now answers, it is raised in power. You ask, what kind of power? He says in Ephesians chapter 1, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. More powerful than a thousand jet engines. More powerful than a hurricane coming through England. More powerful than a tornado in Oklahoma. Some of those tornadoes have been clocked at 500 miles per hour. And you think of the power of nature, the irresistible power of an earthquake when everyone is helpless. Well, says Paul, what about the power that raised Jesus from the dead? That is the power that will lay behind our being transformed. So it is not a natural process that will do it. It is supernatural. And so he says, raised in glory, and then sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. By spiritual, he means supernatural. Whereas our physical bodies were subject to the laws and conditions of physical life. Our resurrection bodies will be controlled only by the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, Jesus said it. 
The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And yet our supernatural bodies, the spirit will be in total harmony with the Holy Spirit. In our resurrection bodies, the spirit will have perfect freedom of action. The spirit will be in complete control. I was thinking of the words of this hymn. We often sing it. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And one of the verses says, Hold o'er my being absolute sway, till fill with thy spirit, till all shall see Christ only always living in me. The Holy Spirit having absolute control, we may wish for it, but in our new bodies, the Holy Spirit will be in complete control. In a word, man will at last be what God created him to be, without sin, without rebellion, or in the words of St. Augustine, unable to sin. Can I remind you again of Augustine's four stages of man? First, able to sin. Second, not able not to sin. Third, able not to sin. And fourth, not able to sin. Stage one, able to sin before the fall. Stage two, to the fall, not able not to sin. Stage three, after conversion, able not to sin. But when we're glorified, not able to sin. And so in this contrast, we may ask, how are these bodies the same? In other words, is there any sense in which my body now will be the same as the body I'm going to have? Well, there is some similarity. We will know each other. We will know each other. If you've known me now, you will know me then. They knew Jesus. And one of the reasons... Moses and Elijah turned up at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's just a foretaste to show that we will know each other. Moses and Elijah, they knew him. They knew them. And so, I will always look much the same. I'm the son of Wayne and Lucille Kendall. And I might be just a little better looking then. And I hope you will be. But we will all look much the same. As I said last time, I'll have my memory and build on what I know. And so will you. And for all I know, our learning will be in proportion to our thirst for knowledge here below. That's another subject. But I know this, though I'll have the same memory... I'll have a brain without the problem of having to memorize and miss it, or a problem of a wandering mind or slowness to learn. And so there is a similarity between this body and the body that I will have. But the difference is that I'm going to have a transformed body. And so Paul proceeds and he says in verse 45, it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. 
The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And so notice how he puts it at the beginning, at the end of verse 44. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. Now, when he said there is a natural body, on that point, everybody in Corinth was agreed. They, you know, that's like saying what goes up must come down. Everybody knows there are natural bodies. But now Paul said there's also a spiritual body. And this is what Paul had to show them. And he builds his whole case upon the kind of body Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. And Paul's going to explain now what he means by spiritual body. We come now to the second contrast that he wants to make. And it's the contrast between the first man, Adam, and what he calls the last Adam in verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. This is not the first time he's referred to Adam in this chapter. In verse 22, he says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Well now, the physical body, that is what Adam had. And so Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So what is the natural body? The natural body is the result of God breathing life into a lifeless body. First, God gave man a body without a soul. But then God breathed breath. And man became a living being, a living soul. Or as F.F. Bruce puts it, a soulish body. So the natural body is the result of God breathing life into a lifeless body. So God gave man a body with a soul. Man is more than what he eats. The atheist says, Feuerbach, the German philosopher would say, man is what he eats. Man is what he eats. The Bible says man is more than a body. The man is more than a body with a physical appetite or with sexual desires or ego needs. Man is body and soul. Blaise Pascal put it, there is a God-shaped blank in every man. Or as St. Augustine put it, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. And so that's the first man, Adam. But at this stage, Paul the Apostle gives Jesus a new name or a new description. Normally, Paul would refer to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Or the Son of God. The, or in the Bible, he's called Son of Man, Lamb of God, High Priest. We could go on and on. But now, how about this one? He's called the last Adam. The last Adam. 
Why did he put it like that? He could have just said second Adam, and he does refer to the second man later on in this section. But why does he say last Adam? Because there can never be another. There will never be another head of the human race. Our first parent was, in one sense, the head of the race. But there can be no third head. You know, someone has pointed out that the first Adam and the last Adam were in common this, that they both had no earthly father and were both without sin. The first Adam and the last Adam were alike in being produced without a father and without sin. Did you ever wonder what Jesus really did look like? Artists paint his picture. If it's painted in the Middle East, he'll look Middle Eastern. Probably that's the way he was, because that's where he was from. But if an American artist paints him, he looks pretty much like an American. Or if he's painted in Africa, I've seen pictures of Jesus painted in Africa, he's black. But I can tell you what he looked like. You ready for this? He looked partly like Adam and partly like his mother Mary. You see, Adam had no parents. God made Adam. And Adam was made in the image of God. Now, had the second Adam been created, he would have looked exactly like the first Adam. But the second Adam was not created. The second Adam was the eternal word made flesh. So that when Jesus was born, he would look partly like his mother and partly like his father. And the way he know, we know how that was, the way Adam looked. Adam would have looked exactly as God made him. And Jesus would be partly like Adam and partly like Mary. When we get to heaven, I'll just say, I told you so. But you see, the wonderful thing is, his likeness will be that forever. And we all sometimes wish we'd looked a little different and we see someone else a little better looking. But you know, God will take our likeness. And when we get to heaven, we won't complain. We will like ourselves just the way we are. All the better if we can begin to be like that now. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was visible, they knew him, and he had kept his identity, and he will keep it forever. Verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Well, what else can be said of the last Adam? Well, it is said that the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. Now, that's a reference to Jesus not before, but after his resurrection. F.F. F. Bruce put it like this. 
Paul envisages a radical change from the body of Jesus, which was laid in the tomb, to the form in which he arose. So Philippians 3.21 talks about his glorious body. Our lowly bodies will be changed into the likeness of his glorious body. So that Jesus' present existence is in a spiritual realm. And here's the thing about the spiritual body. This body who was visible and touchable could also walk through a closed door. So that the body of Jesus was visible on earth, but at home with the angels. And so the present existence of Jesus at home with angels, yet visible to the disciples, Paul calls it a spiritual body. Before the death of Jesus, he had a natural body. But after his resurrection, a spiritual body, so too with you and me. And in God's eternal plan, it was this, says Paul from verse 46. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven so also are those who are of heaven. And so, in the Garden of Eden, God gave man a soul, but his body was made from dust. And consequently, all of us will return to dust. Verse 48 says, As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And we say at the graveside, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But when Jesus comes the second time, we will be given bodies like the man from heaven. And this is Paul's way of describing the resurrection body of Jesus and letting us know where he will be coming from. He will be coming from heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 make the same point. That's where Jesus is now, in heaven, and he will be coming from heaven. And so what a day it will be when those who are alive see him. We who are dead will be raised up, and we will come with him. And so, as we once wore the likeness of the earthly Adam after the fall, bodies that are perishable, bodies that are weak, physical bodies. As we once wore the likeness of the earthly Adam after the fall, hereafter we will be like that of the glorified Jesus. And our bodies will be transformed, including bearing the perfect image of the Son of God. Verse 49, Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That does not mean that we're all going to look like Jesus so that we won't know him from us. When, we say, when the Bible says we shall be like him, 
that does not mean that we are all going to have his Middle Eastern features and the color of his skin. But it does mean that our bodies will be transformed bearing the perfect image of the Son of God. That is, the image of God in man, which has been marred ever since Adam fell, will be restored so that as in Jesus, the perfect image was reflected. And Jesus always did everything that the Father wanted him to do. In that sense, when we see him, we shall be like him, and we will be without any sin. We will be without any weakness. We will be without any shame. For those who are here today, you think, I did it again, fell into the same old temptation, or I still have this weakness, or perhaps you're here today and there's a physical impairment, a physical problem, or disease, or you just say, why do I have bodies like I, why is my body like it is? Why can't I have a body like so-and-so? Why do I have to have this defect or that? But in that day, there will be no hint of anything like we were in the sense of temptation or weakness, getting our feelings hurt, or embarrassment, or loneliness, or being criticized by anybody. That will be gone forever. God will take his big handkerchief and wipe away all tears. I talked to somebody yesterday and said, this person said to me, would you pray for me? I said, I sure will. I do pray for you. And tears rolled down that person's cheeks. There'll be no tears in heaven. Our bodies will be transformed. Our spirits changed. We will not only retain our physical appearance, but we will be changed so that we will be without sin. Well, says Paul, the resurrection of Christ was the basis of our own resurrection one day. And in the same way, his resurrection is the basis of our resurrection bodies. What a privilege to be a Christian and to know this is going to happen. Sometimes I can hardly wait. In any case, it will happen. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit will put his seal upon this word, that it will be an encouragement to all of us and bring honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.